Hello and welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nikia Anani and I am your host. Here on The Connected Generation, we explore all things legacy wealth and legacy businesses, how to build businesses and wealth that would outlive the founder and have sustained impact, not only over time, but also over space. And we have these conversations in an environment of authenticity, curiosity and vulnerability. This week, I was joined by Cindy Arledge, who helps growth-minded family businesses prepare their families for smooth transactions, reduce known transfer risks, and create sustainable systems to create lasting wealth. Cindy is a second-gen entrepreneur herself, multiple best-selling author, and has a deep passion and commitment to seeing legacy planning becoming a recognized industry. She turned her mess into a message and is passionate about helping 1 million business owners prepare their family for a successful wealth transfer. Cindy is an award-winning, entertaining speaker. She brings passion and a sense of humour to the taboo topics of death and money. And we had an incredible conversation. She shared vulnerably her story in the world of business families and legacy families and how she lost both her parents and um, had challenges navigating tricky family dynamics and she really unpacked that so I'd really encourage you to tune in enjoy and share this episode with someone that you know is navigating building legacy business and dealing with tricky family dynamics this would be super helpful for them enjoy Hi, Cindy. Welcome to The Connected Generation. I'm excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me here today. And I've really been looking forward to spending this time with you. Likewise, likewise. You help growth-minded business families prepare for smooth transitions. Can you share how did you get to where you are today? You know, I got here, unfortunately, I would say the hard way um, through experience. In 2005, my parents passed away eight months apart. And even though we thought that we had everything in place with the legal plans, the CPA, and all of those things that you know to do, um, our family didn't survive. We did not survive Mm. the wealth transition. And um, in that waiting period, you know, when you filed the tax return and you're waiting for the IRS to see if they're going to accept it or not, and you can't distribute the assets and you're tied together, um, I went into what's called the dark night of the soul. Uh, and mm. really hit my knees and said, you know, what did I do to deserve this pain? Because it was painful to lose my parents, but it was even more painful to lose those relationships with my siblings. And so I really started studying and and I was confused about money. And so I really started studying and, and somewhat was relieved to know that what had happened to us would be considered normal since mm. 70% of families lose wealth in that first wealth transfer. So I decided to discover what the successful families do and uh, do what they did. That's the easiest way, right? Find someone who's successful and then do what they do. And unfortunately, our family had not accumulated enough wealth to qualify for the family office industry. And Mm. so I set out to implement my own solutions based on what I'd learned and then my experience. And now I'm helping other entrepreneurs do the same. Oh, my goodness. Cindy, thank you. This is just incredible. And there's so much in that short intro that I feel like I'd love to delve deeper into. And that was really around your parents passed away eight months 
apart from each other. Can you speak more to that experience? Because that in itself is a heavy blow. How was that? It is. And, you know, one of the most difficult things is becoming an orphan. It Mm. doesn't matter how old you are. When you lose your parents, there's that filter of, at least for me, I can only speak for myself, of I always knew what to do based on the filter of pleasing my parents. Mm. And then Mm. when they were gone and I was faced with all this, this turmoil within my own family that I was emotionally unprepared for, I had to figure out who I was as an adult. And then Mm. there's also the shock of realizing it's my turn to be the next generation to die. That's heavy. (laughs) It's a lot. It's a a lot. lot. It's a lot. Transitioning from having emotionally this layer of protection, so to speak, with parents being alive and then feeling like, well, I'm now front of the line. (laughs) And too young. You know, I wasn't even 50 yet. Wow. Wow. And in the introduction, you were speaking through your parents had done some planning. But in spite of that, um, the planning didn't necessarily lead to the family staying together with the transition. Can you speak more to that? Yes. And you know, what's um, sad is that my dad knew he had problems. You know, we, we were a dysfunctional family. Um, when you look at the time period that we grew up in, my mom and dad uh, were married at the age of 19 and 18 in 1949. Um, mm. And they were, you know, depression era babies that were, had zero money uh, when they got married and managed to accumulate a $10 million estate by 2005. And so that is something unique to that time period that they were able to do that. And then on top of that is the fact that at the time, the only thing my dad knew to, to deal with the family dynamics was with a legal plan. And unfortunately Mm -hmm. um, he had problems with two of my brothers. And so he wrote them out of his will. And then because my mother was an Alzheimer's patient, she didn't. And so it just, it it just created this um, mismatch of legal plans, especially at the grandchildren level and a really um, just unfortunate set of circumstances that everybody knew that my brothers were written out of the will, but we didn't realize the consequences of that after my parents were gone that that feelings that one of at least one of my brothers had for my dad was transferred to me. Mm. And so mm. fast forward 17 years later, I love my brother, but he has yet to speak to me. And now my daughters were not invited to their cousin's wedding. So an entire branch of our tree was cut off because my parents didn't have access to planning that could have resolved or at least, you know, at least tried to resolve, right? Not every family can resolve their issues. But if you, if you tackle these tough topics, what I found, while the matriarch and the patriarch are alive and you bring an outside person in, they have a better chance. Indeed. And I, I guess I'm curious. Um, I doubt your parents would have foreseen this eventuality when they were doing the planning, right? Um, whilst I'm was... afraid my dad knew because he yeah. apologized in advance. I just, I didn't have the awareness. I I couldn't believe that what he foresaw could be true. Unfortunately, I think my dad did, Mm. that I was naive. Mm. And you speak about, um, you went through the dark night of the soul. Can you elaborate? Yeah. So the dark night of the soul is just, um, not everybody experiences it during their, their lifetime, but many do. And it's just a time that you feel like you've been, forsaken by God. 
everything that I thought I knew to be true ended up not being true. And like, I, I would just give an example, like my brother, I was so close to my brother. He was my quote favorite brother because when we were growing up, he was the one that took the time to take me and my friends to the movie. I would clean his apartment and he would take me to dinner. I mean, we were so close and I always advocated for him with my father and, and I was just totally unprepared for that flip. Um, and so the dark, I, I think that was really what hurt my soul the most is being so wrong about that relationship. And I remember asking three questions. What did I do to deserve this pain? What am I supposed to do differently? And what do you want me to learn? Oh and I spent God. years um, finding the answers to those questions in a deep, deep soul searching way. And I, I feel like that made all the difference in my life. Oh my goodness. Can you repeat those questions again? What did I do to deserve the pain? What did I do to deserve this pain? What do you want me to do differently? And what do you want me to learn? And what, what uncovered when you asked those, yourself those questions? What answers did you get? Well, the first answer was you didn't do anything to deserve the pain. It's just a part of life. Mm. What I was supposed to learn differently is basically to be 100% responsible for my own life and, and really um, have that deep relationship with God and um, that I can be joyous on the inside no matter what happens on the outside. Mm. And then what I was supposed to do differently, of course, um, ended up, you know, having the courage to face these things and learn legacy planning and then provide it. I've turned my mess into a message. I love that, um, Cindy. I was just going to touch on that is that your pain was like a seed, so to speak. And it's, mm -hmm. it's really beautiful to watch. And you spoke in your introduction about, um, you studied the, you know, 70% of families lose their wealth in the first transition and you studied the families that kept their wealth. Um, what did you uncover from that study? Well, I, I think it's the greatest secret hiding in plain sight. That's the way I word it. And what I discovered is that these families that are successful prepare their family. It has everything to do with the family and nothing to do with the wealth. And that was very exciting for me because I recognized an opportunity for ordinary families to apply these principles and they could not only, they could become fabulous wealthy with the right, you know, incentive, right? And they can learn how to keep wealth. So it was just such an exciting secret uh, to discover. Mm, mm. That's powerful. And um, what was I going to say? the successful families focused on preparing the family and not just the wealth. And you spoke earlier about how um, the family office industry was not necessarily accessible by way of volume of assets or size of wealth and things like that. And um, how, how do you bring this message of preparation of the family and democratize this access, so to speak, to every family? Well, the first thing I did was write several books. So, so far I've written four books. They're all available on Amazon. I've got my fifth wow. book coming out soon because for $20, any family can get this information, right? Mm -hmm. So that was the first thing that I did. And now um, I'm actually giving myself permission to put myself out there and contacting the media, um, graciously being a guest. You know, you're so gracious to invite me as a guest. 
uh, working with some really top financial advisors that are working with my clients. And my ultimate goal is to see this legacy planning become a recognized industry. Mm. I would have to definitely support that mission of yours. <laughs> Something I'm super passionate about. Um, and you say you're passionate about helping a bit, a million business owners preparing their family for successful wealth transfer. I guess my question would be in terms of these, these successful families that worked on their families, right. In preparing the families, what kind of things they do, what did they not do? What kind of tips do you have for the audience and listeners? Well, gosh, that's such a great question. And I think the, the place to start, and this was um, one of the most unpopular places to start, right? Is that one of the things I noticed about these, I call them legacy families, is that they were prepared for death. They mm. weren't afraid to talk about death. They recognized death and they planned for it. And so instead of being afraid of death, they, they, they recognized that it was going to happen. And that's one of the most common mistakes that I see in, you know, entrepreneurs, especially because those are who I typically work with. And even, and I mean, look at Anne Hesh. She passed away recently in mm-hmm. a fiery car crash, leaving an underage son and a 20 year old son with no, you know, legal protection. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't really matter the size of your estate that being prepared for emergencies and being prepared to death is a simple step that any family could take. Get your will done, you know, get a business succession plan done. And really, and this is the, the, the more difficult piece to do without help, I mean, without help, but it's like prepare your children to be orphans. Mm. This is, this is hard. So what, why is it so hard for most families to talk about death and prepare for death? What's the friction now? Ooh, well, the first piece of it is that it's ingrained into our brains. I, I'm an avid reader and I read a lot of books. And one of the books that I read that helped me understand why we don't deal with death came from a book called The Ostrich Paradox, which was a book about why governments don't prepare for natural disasters. And one of the themes in the book was the tsunami and how so many people were killed And the government had an opportunity to invest in a tsunami warning, but they didn't because eh, it doesn't happen that much. It's such a huge investment. And so in that book, it goes through six different biases that our brains have to say, no, we don't need to talk about death. We don't need to talk about Mm -hmm. those maybe tornadoes, maybe hurricanes. You're going to be okay. So there's, there's six biases in our brain. That's step number one. Step number two is that our society doesn't support this conversation. Hmm. Where do you go to learn about talking about aging, death, and and money Hmm. if you don't have that culture in your own family? Hmm. And I think what's fascinating to me is that so many companies today are offering legal services to their employees for like $30 a month that any of their employees could get an affordable legal document set up because here's the thing a, a will is more than a will right it's it's a series of documents and what i tell people is that um they keep you uh safe while you're alive mm-hmm. because when you're becoming incapacitated you need someone to speak on your behalf and they transfer your stuff and take care of underage children or children that you know need people that need to be protected after you're gone so it's a two-step process 
But if your family's not talking about this, most likely you know nothing about it. And so the third piece of this is for people like you and myself, that we understand the consequences of it to really, I, I call it the three foot rule, become an agent of change and ask anybody within three foot of you, do you have a will? Mm-hmm. And so it what's been surprising for me. I recently just joined a gym and my trainer doesn't have a will. He has two underage children and he has a daughter in college. He's in a business partnership. His business partners don't have a will. And so he's in, in three weeks, he's got his legal documents in order because he met me. Mm. So never underestimate the power of a heartbeat to heartbeat. I care about you. This is important conversation to have. Indeed, indeed. And um, I'm going back a little bit now. And when you were speaking about your personal experience with this and your parents had an estate plan, but it didn't solve for the family dynamics and just taking that um, the gift of your experience and you know for the listeners who may now be thinking through how can I start my estate planning with wills and trusts and foundations etc but how do I ensure that I don't create a worse family dynamic in the future what would you say to that how can they start thinking through that right now well, I know for myself, and I've, um, I'm not meaning to toot my own horn, I've, I've really recognized what is it that causes families to fight, right? And there's certain risks that come with certain situations. So for instance, if you have a blended family, you have a higher risk than a family that's not blended. If mm. you own your own business and your business is the majority of your estate, you're at higher risk. If you have some family members that are working the business and other family members that don't, you're at higher risk. If you have family members who don't get along, you're at higher risk. So there's some risk factors that I identified that, you know, I give away for free and then have a conversation with the family because when you can recognize the risk and with their time to address them while you're alive, then that's where the legacy planning piece really gets started. Mm. Fantastic. And I guess whose responsibility is it to bring this up? The now gen, the rising gen, who should spearhead this whole process? And yeah, in your opinion. You know, I would say it's the person who cares the most. I love that. So I've worked with some families that it's a second generation and they recognize the risk. Um, oftentimes it, it's the matriarch of the family. Um, Typically, the patriarch knows there's an issue, but I, I, it's it's so funny. I hear, well, I won't be around. They can deal with it after I'm gone, right? I mean, mm-hmm. have you ever heard that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I won't be here. Let them duke it out. But on the flip side of that, that patriarch really wants to make a difference in his life. Mm-hmm. But with the lack of available information about legacy planning, so many people think they have to do it on their own. And they don't. I mean, that's where this legacy planning becoming an industry really to help the wealth advisors, the CPAs, the attorneys, and really the family itself. Because one of the pieces of the family office industry is that they have their own staff that's working together as a cohesive team on the family's behalf. Well, we can help the family do that. They can build their own team. They don't need a family office. They can, they can do that with a little bit of help from this legacy planning industry to 
build what I call a board of directors or a brain trust for the family. And, and that, that one piece has such, um, such a magnificent advantage for these families, especially after wealth transfer um, occurs. Mm. Can you share an example of that with like the brain trust or the board of directors, like specifically what, you know, perhaps the example you've helped clients with or, yeah. So what I do a lot of found, what I call foundational work, typically with the founders of the family. And I do all the background work before we host a first family meeting. Mm-hmm. And in that first family meeting, I facilitate the meeting and we introduce this idea of legacy planning to the next generation and invite them to participate. Mm-hmm. And legacy planning is a series of time spent together. A part of it is in meetings. Part of it is in a shared learning environment. And part of it's having fun. You know, I say a family that plays together stays together. And it really addresses the lack of communication and trust, which is one of the major reasons that families fight over money is they don't have communication and trust. But a family that plays together actually is building that trust together. But uh, back to the question, um, typically after the first family meeting, I start working with the founders to identify who can they put together a team of their advisors And then we'll host a half day seminar for the entire family Mm -hmm. and we'll bring the family in. We'll bring the advisors and we start training the family in this shared learning environment of this is who we are counting on to help us and building those relationships so that it extends beyond the point person um, in the family. Fantastic. And you spoke a bit about how you're passionate about essentially democratizing access to these families who may not necessarily be large enough to have their own dedicated family office. And you've written five books. Well, the fifth is about to be released. So can you can you share more about those resources and what they they're about On, on my books? Yes, please. So the first book I wrote is called My Camino, My Life, and it's an autobiography that I walked 500 miles across Spain to complete the Camino de Santiago. And uh, the reason that this book is pertinent is because I, I did that journey to test what I call a formula for living that I created in that dark night of the soul. And I wanted to see if it worked. So I walked 500 miles across Spain with plantar fasciitis before I left with the expectation that it was going to be with ease and grace. And so that first book is about my journey. And in writing that book, I witnessed my own healing from that dark night of the soul and felt called to help other families have this access to this legacy family planning. So I, I listened to the call and I immediately wrote curse of inheritance, how to protect your family from being broke, bitter, and blaming you. And my editor was the same editor. And when I sent him this manuscript, he was like, oh, this is such a dark, you know, this is, this is dark. Do you think you could hire a cartoonist to do some cartoons to lighten this up? And so that's what I did. I hired a cartoonist. She's a New York Times, uh, you know, she does cartoons for the New York Times. And she actually brought the monster to life that book up with the legacy family way, which is the positive side of that, right? These are the things that you can do. And then a a couple years later, I wrote cracking the inheritance code because I realized that it's such a new topic and it's so big that the readers were like, well, where do I start? Mm. And so cracking the inheritance code is more about a personal legacy 
And that before we give a legacy, we want to live a legacy. And so it's about how to create your own formula for living and, and really identifying that wisdom that you'd like to transfer, sometimes more importantly than the wealth that you're leaving behind. Mm. And now this next book is, it's a handbook and I call it the Family Emergency Handbook. And it was a response to my ex-husband having a stroke and watching my two daughters have to step into his life take care of his business, make life and death decisions for him, take care of a herd of cows in another state, a deal with his insurance company, and then struggling with where is his paperwork? You know, what did he want? I mean, they were making life and death decisions without having had conversations uh, with him. And so the good news is, is that he has recovered enough that he's doing well. Um, and that, that again, situation of watching my girls between the two of them, they had five, five children under the age of five trying to live their own lives and suddenly becoming unpaid caregivers for their father. And so this family emergency handbook is a proactive approach of getting your documents organized, having those tough conversations with your family to say, here's where my stuff is and this is what I want and giving them a handbook to empower them to protect your home, your health and your loved ones. And so that what I'm really excited about this next book coming. That's incredible. When is it out and how can folks? Um, my my goal it? is November 4th because okay. I um, always publish on an important date. And um, November 4th was the day that my mother passed away. So I'll always remember, you know, what days uh, I published my book on and what event it is. So that's the next one coming up. I'm really pushing hard for that date. That's beautiful. Um, you spoke about the curse of the inheritance, and I just wondered for the next generation, um, what tips would you give them in navigating this whole wealth transition process? One of the, the struggles that I see the most with the second generation, I think you're asking me about the second generation, right? Receiving yeah. wealth. And I, I speak about it in the curse is that there is an energetic feeling of not having earned that wealth. And so for the second generation, I think their major job is to feel like they deserve the wealth that they've inherited and to become good stewards of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how do you navigate that? Feel like you've, you deserve. So it's around worthiness, isn't it? Mm. It is. It is. And, and I, I, again, I'm an avid reader. Um, and I've been studying this topic now. I, I realized that I've been studying this topic since I was 15 years old. Right. Um, mm -hmm. and I put together a program that really makes it easy mm -hmm. um, because we can, I've got some tools and really great resources that I've put together for people to identify where do they feel worthy, where they not feel worthy, and then help them create that internal formula of living. And there's just some really great books and resources and it, but it is, it's, it's about that internal journey. Mm, mm, incredible. Have you read, um, the quest for legitimacy? I have it's not. Quite it's quite new. Um, I'd recommend you reading it. it. Talks about this as well, like about this journey that rising gens ha should go on to find their place in the world, and how they can be meaningful contributors. Absolutely, and and I tend to read more psychology books. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's the Earned Life by Marshall Goldsmith that is fabulous. Um, there's one that was written specifically for dentists. 
but it's applicable to everybody and it's raise your healthy deserve level. And then there's Gay Hendricks that talks about the big leap and really um, owning your genius, right? And that's, you know, if we can help the next gen figure out what their genius is and then give them tools that they can use their genius, gifts and talents to make the world a better place, then, then you have a fulfilling life. Incredible. Cindy, I don't know if you've got any lasting words, anything you'd like to share with the audience um, before we wrap up. Well, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for having me. And then um, I think that my, my last parting piece would be no matter where you are, there's a way forward. Mm-hmm. And most likely it, it would be with someone who can help you because to do this on your own, is you wouldn't want to do your taxes. You don't do your taxes yourself. You don't want to do your own uh, law. You don't want to do your own attorney work, right? This legacy planning piece, it cracks me up that it's called soft skills. Yeah. And um, you don't have to be a psychologist to do this because we're not going to deal with the past because the past is going to keep showing up in the present. So find someone that you feel comfortable with and get some help and start having those conversations now because we don't know if we're going to have tomorrow. Indeed. And I think the piece on soft skills, it gives, has a connotation that it's ancillary, it's an add-on, it's optional, but it really is, there's nothing soft about these skills. These are leadership skills, um, knowing yourself, developing empathy, collaborating, developing trust, communicating effectively. These are core skills. Yeah. And we've never addressed them at the family level before. You know, we yeah. And I, I feel like the queen passing away really was a great example of she was the parent, mother, grand, you know, mother, great grandmother. She was the leader of her country and she was also the leader of the family. But yeah. you don't have to be a monarchy to benefit from adding leadership. And I feel like this legacy planning piece is really how you add leadership to your family in a sustainable way that can withstand the test of time. Indeed. Thank you so much, Cindy. Well, again, thank you so much for having me here. I love, love, love that conversation with Cindy. And for me, there are three things that are sticking out that we discussed that I'd love to unpack here a little bit more. And the first is when she speaks about the dark night of the soul and how she went through this season of the dark night of the soul. And I found that ever so relatable because there have been seasons in my life, and I'm sure in yours, where it just doesn't make sense. Those challenging, difficult seasons where you have to keep plodding through and moving forward in spite of, you know, the fog um, ahead of you, in spite of the negativity in spite of, you know, the difficulty and the challenge. And I love the three questions that she asked herself. And I think those are three powerful questions we can ask ourselves in the, if we find ourselves in, in those moments. And is, what did I do to get here? Reflecting, like, did I play a part in getting here? Or is this just life serving? It's, you know, it's, it's events at me um, that I have zero control over, but just reflecting, how did I get here? The second is, what should I do differently? What is within my power that I can do differently to help the situation that I find myself in? And the third, third is, what can I learn? I think this is so powerful. And you can take that forward into 
future events where you find yourself in challenges or even even positive seasons of life? What can I learn um, is such a powerful question. The second thing I love that she spoke about was the curse of the inheritance. And, you know, unearned wealth can create issues around meaning and purpose and contributors for those that are recipients of this wealth. So typically next gen inheritors, right? And if you find yourself on as a next gen and you're inheriting wealth and it's creating a lot of complexity, a lot of discomfort, it's creating a lot of emotional turmoil, it's absolutely normal. And absolutely key to wading through this complexities of abundance and the complexities of this curse of the inheritance is to gain work on the three C's is what I would say to you. So look at how can you cultivate clarity? How can you get clear on what matters to you and how this can be a source of your focus and your inspiration? How can you develop your confidence so you have a clear sense of independence to navigate and redefine the future for yourself in a very authentic way? And lastly, communication. How can you be a better communicator, articulate your goals and your vision so that others around you can listen? Those are the three areas I would say you should work on. And then lastly, I loved when Cindy was talking about um, legacy families and how she found that legacy families are able to have bold conversations about death. And it's absolutely necessary. Um, I would say that there are other keys to legacy families as well. Um, So flourishing multi-generational families, they not only look at managing their wealth across generations, but they also multiply it. And they're very intentional about designing and curating their legacies. And they don't focus just on managing and multiplying their quantitative wealth, but they also focus on doing that for their qualitative wealth. And they recognize that when the qualitative capital is neglected, Families will see fracture of unity, so conflict, diminishing intangible assets and depletion of net worth. And so to be able to strengthen and sustain our legacies is key to build this qualitative capital by building clarity, by building communication and by building collaboration. At the heart of that are necessary conversations with family members to start to come together and band together, to articulate a shared vision, to articulate our family legacy and to collectively start working towards that together. So thank you so, so, so much for tuning in. Um, Please share this episode with a friend um, and please check out Cindy's books. She's a prolific author. She has a lot of useful resources. You can check those out on her website. Take good care and God bless you.